Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. And we look at the business stories that are exercising the country and indeed the world. I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Breda Brown of Unique Media. Welcome, Breda. And Des Doris of Alchemy Events. Also welcome. Haven't spoken to either of you for a while. Breda, we'll start with you. Um, front page on all the papers. Uh, Hurling star DJ Carey appears in court on multiple fraud charges. Um, it's in all the papers. Judge grants bail and agrees to free legal aid for the former Kilkenny player. He's facing 21 fraud charges, 19 of deception and two of using a false <clears throat> instrument. And apparently 23 people have been named as his victims in the frauds that he allegedly conducted. Now, the charges are saying that he induced people to give him money, having fraudulently claimed to have cancer and that he needed money to obtain treatment. Um, now, the judge said the, the book of evidence is ready, the court was told, and the judge sent the case forward to the Dublin Circuit Criminal Court. And that's going to be mentioned on the 3rd of November. He was also granted free legal aid. There was no objection to bail and the conditions which include him, uh, his own bond of €300. Euro. He has to sign on daily at the Garda station and he has to keep the Garda informed if he is travelling abroad. OK. Right, I have to say this is quite close to home. I know DJ Carey. He was at my 50th birthday party. I know many of the people on the list who uh, who have, 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 have basically uh, uh, been named as well. So... It is quite stark, and for me personally, to see this, Des, um, it is difficult, isn't it, when one uh, so prominent uh, in the uh, sporting field uh, ends up in a situation which is... uh, Quite perturbing and quite disturbing. Absolutely. I mean, someone who's, you know, uh, in the past given, uh, you know, so much joy to so many people on the sports field. He was a member of that Kilkenny team that won All Ireland's in 2000, 2002, 2003. And this is obviously an extremely different context to be in the news. So, so yeah, it's stark and, and shocking. Yeah. Okay. We'll move on. Um, Breda, back to you. Um, interesting poll. Uh, it's again on the front page of the Irish Times finding that 40% of people surveyed, I think it was quite a, a decent survey poll, but 40% of people surveyed will not pay the RTE licence fee. This has massive implications for uh, the National Broadcasting uh, organisation that is RTE. Yeah, the Irish Times have been doing a number of <clears throat> polls uh, over the course of the week and today they've just decided to focus on, on the RTE scenario. So it's saying that 40% of people say they will probably not pay, definitely definitely not pay or never pay their television licence. I mean, 40% is a significant figure at a time when the National Broadcaster is going to the government looking looking for extra funding. Um, and especially as well with the, um, with, you know, the amount of funding that they, that they currently need. Now they go on and they say that half of people say they will definitely pay uh, or probably pay the €160 annually. So it's quite split down the middle there. So just goes to show... You know, even if you do some crude numbers on it, this makes them a busted flush. There's no way... Millions, absolutely. There's no way that the current operation is sustainable with this level of... of, uh, 
of default on payments. Correct, but the news gets worse because the next question is, do you think the government should help fund RTE or do you think that RTE should cut its costs in line with the loss of revenue? And 78%, 78% favoured the option of cutting costs. They don't want the government to give a handout here. That's two out of three people. Pretty, but what, 78%? Yeah, yeah, 30, yeah. nearly eight out of ten, yeah. um, which, is, which is phenomenal. So, I mean, what message is that sending back to the government in terms of them sitting down to make a decision on on if they give any money to RTE or when or how they give money to RTE. Um, this is significant and we're coming into an election year as well from a general election perspective. So this will be weighing quite heavily on the minds of, of politicians but and policymakers, but also RTE. Um, only 15% said the government should help fund the station. Yeah. Um, again, we're seeing uh, Finan Sheehan writing today's independent that RT lobbied party leaders for funding, but kept quiet on the ticking time bomb. I'm not sure they were... What else were they to do in one sense? Yeah, well, the, Why the, would you talk about it? Well, this yeah. is it. the Register of Lobbying uh, has just been put up. So Fiona has gone into quite a lot of detail in the Irish Independent today in terms of who met who when. So it is interesting. Uh, but as you said, his point is they went on a on a frantic lobbying blitz, he says, for more funding just weeks before the, the Ryan Tuberty payment scandal. But they said nothing to anybody that they met about what was coming down the road. And they met uh, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, Eamon Ryan, Ivana Bacic and Holly Kearns were among those who were who were targeted. Okay. Um, Des, uh, fishing has been in the news this week. <clears throat> Not all for the right reason. Uh, very interesting piece on page two and three of today's Independent, which uh, uh, by Catherine Fegan saying, our fishermen are easy targets. Sale of trawler to drugs gang shines a light on the dying sea trade. Yeah, but it was very, uh, very good, a very uh, detailed piece by <coughs> Catherine Fegan. But I, I think, you know, Obviously, it's it's a very compelling and and very serious story about the massive amount of drugs being funneled through this country. But the background to it is that when a major geopolitical event like Brexit permanently and structurally alters the nature of an industry, and then the state does not step in appropriately, this is what happens. You know? Yeah, and, and just know. to remind listeners that as part of Britain's withdrawal from uh, the EU, transferred back. of its fishing rights to British waters, which the knock-on effect here was absolutely catastrophic. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, a second story where the Norwegian fishery firm uh, Maui is cutting 33 staff in Donegal is is another example of that. But I mean, and you have these situations where this trawler was sold to, as it it would seem, allegedly, uh, an international drug cartel and is being used for drug smuggling. Um, you know, this is just the tip of the spear of people who are, you know, um, struggling in an extremist and have their backs to the wall. Yeah, yeah. I saw another piece that said uh, it's uh, when you look at the size of that tanker, the Matthew, mm. uh, that the fact that they only found whatever it was, whatever many tons, uh, that basically, I wonder how much of it we didn't get well, uh, well, that may have gone somewhere else. Yeah, or we may be seeing some more of it washing up on the beach <laughs> yeah. over the next the next few weeks. Yeah, and and so. that's what happened in Donegal and there was a similar scenario there obviously where some of it was washed up on the beach and this is what the fishermen are saying. They're, they're due to this decommissioning as a result of Brexit, they're desperate to sell their boats because a lot of them have mortgages yeah. on the boats as well. Um, and there, there, there's also been a few accusations I suppose that maybe um, you know how how are the drugs getting into the country? Is it is it through being funneled through various fishing routes or whatever? But 
Again, um, it's saying in this piece here, the reason you can be be assured of the only way that they can get a boat was by buying it. So the only way they can get drugs into the country, it's saying here, if drugs were being shipped into this country using our fishing fleet, they wouldn't have to be buying boats. And that's what they're doing. They're they're rocking up to the likes of Castletown there, buying boats. Um, and the absence, apparently, of customs officers as well in various harbours is also causing... Yeah, there, I think the closest one to, uh, is in Bantry. Yeah. Uh, uh, but also, I think it's worth pointing out that the, the seller of the trawler uh, was completely bona fide in mm-hmm. terms of his intent. There was a bill of sale. It was all done Proper banking transactions, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. And uh, again, I'm sure he was as surprised as anybody to see his, his trawler that he sold up on the banks at Blackwater. Absolutely. Uh, and, and these boats are, like, they're not cheap. They're, this boat in particular, um, it's believed that it may have cost about €250,000, a quarter of a million. Yeah, yeah. And very traumatic for the, the guy who sold the boat as well, I, I would say. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, but it, it's, it's, it's funny that when you look at, you know, a change in status economically mm. that can have such a widespread effect. And, you know, when you think about Ireland... As an island, you know, uh, the opportunity that there should be within seafood, fresh fish, mm-hmm. like it's, it, it really is a kind of a sad state when we're looking at um, the fact that fishermen can't earn a living. Well, this and the the piece that Des just mentioned there a second ago about the Norwegian fishery firm cutting 30, 33 staff in, in Donegal. And their reason, they're saying, is that... Um, they have warmer than normal sea temperatures has impacted on the amount of salmon fished in Ireland. So it just goes to show the climate crisis is already having an impact on, on certain sectors here, you know. And that, um, that, that, that company, Moe, a significant employer which employed 265 people in Ireland before the cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know. And um, they harvested 500 tonnes of fish in the four quarter of 2022 and that was down from 1500 tonnes the previous year so, so one third wow you know that's a big difference okay we'll move on to more positive things uh, Des because uh, the announcement that the new Intel facility shows that the tech giant is laying foundations for decades to come out I have to say I'm really encouraged by this story particularly when we saw you know this is a business that was seemed to be uh, under the spotlight uh, you know, taking, making a rationalisation in its business, cutting costs. But to see investment like this, you know, at this scale for the long term is hugely significant uh, in a good way, I think, for our for our economy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the headline number is here is that uh, Intel will be increasing its permanent employment from 5,000 to 6,500. So an increase of 1,500 highly paid, highly skilled jobs. But what Adrian Neckler noted as well later in the article I thought was interesting was that like it, what that turns out to in money investment is 12 billion on a multi-year basis. And it's not the same as saying a software company is just setting up and introducing mm. 150 or 200 jobs. Like it's major, you know, sticky, multi-year, multi-decade. Yeah, multi- even if they wanted to get out, they'd have to it'd take 10 years yeah. to wind it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and brilliant. Like, well, even on the numbers as well, Des, the this new Fab 34 facility doubles Intel's manufacturing space in Ireland, bringing its total investment in Ireland 
to more than 30 billion euros. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible, it's isn't it? It's saying like, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, and I mean, you, you know, we, we talk and talk and talk about AI and its implications and potentially, you know, taking over and destroying the world. But this, I suppose, is a positive implication of AI as they invest in the production of new AI technology here in Ireland. So, yeah. yeah. What I was interested in is what's the money going to be spent on? What is the technology they're talking about? So apparently it is extreme ultraviolet technology, EUV it's yeah, called. Yeah, and you'll be hearing a bit more about that later from Andy O'Donoghue, our tech expert. It's tech ph- expert. Like it's phenomenal, yeah. Transfers patterns to a silicon wafer, creating the blueprints for integrated circuits. And apparently there's a Dutch company that are at the forefront of it and it's highly specialist. There's only... Very, very few people can do it. And it's fantastic. It's here then. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And a nice piece in Cantillon as well about um, a mention, uh, to about Anne Keller-Wright, the Irish woman who's ridden through the ranks of Intel, become one of its most senior uh, vice presidents. And she was here yesterday and she was with the chief executive, uh, Pat Gelsinger, who also flew in for the launch. So I'd say probably quite a proud moment for her as well. Okay. Uh, Does uh, the rise of contactless transaction continues? Uh, these are some reports out from the central bank. Eighty-four uh, percent contactless card transactions uh, uh, still tell up to just a quarter of the total card spending, despite accounting for eighty-four percent of all point-of-sale transactions. This is kind of you need to get behind the figures here slightly, but like it's. Basically, it means that everybody's tapping, uh, tapping eight out of out. ten people <laughs> yeah, are tapping I mean, and going. But I think it's for smaller sums. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like the definition of contactless is for 50 quid or, or, or less. So, you, you know, you have to put the card into the slot or whatever if you go over that. But, but the, I mean, the trend is you know, unmistakable. Like cash is, cash is vanishing. I mean, you know, even on just a personal level, I have this constant guilt now every time we order a takeaway because I've got no money to, to give the guy a tip or something when he mm. arrives. So I know, yeah. He gets 20 quid about once every six months or something <laughs> like that when you, when you have it. But yeah, but... The last of the big t- tippers, Des <laughs> Doris. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I think certainly in terms of of retail, uh, you know, cash is almost gone, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I, I think I have about two euro in my wallet and it's still there from the, from the past six months. The only place I've noticed recently where you have to bring cash and have it with you is when you go to Portugal. So most of the countries I've been in, it's been absolutely fine and there's been no issues with, with contactless. Um, is right? Cash is still very much king in Portugal. So if anybody's planning on going on holidays um, or, or visiting, just check wherever you are going um, that they will take card or not because a lot of restaurants don't. It's all cash. Just, just on a lighter note out of these statistics as well, um, uh, we, we saw that Dublin is also the top of the scale with total card payments equating to 12.6 million per 1,000 of population. On the other hand, County Offaly is the lowest ranking county for card spending by population. And if you're from Carlow, cash withdrawals per 1,000 population were the highest of anywhere. So they like cash in Carlow and they don't spend much in Offaly. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. read something yesterday where there was talk about potentially charging people for taking money out of ATMs at some point in the future. So oh, that no, will be... That- that yeah. would be interesting. And, well, if you uh, go abroad, you certainly see that. Yeah. Uh, as Airbnb, I don't know what your thoughts are on it here, but there's there's an interesting piece on it about maybe, you know, how it basically is the same or not much different to booking a hotel, particularly if you go to 
one of the high density tourist type spots um or you know if you're talking central dublin or galway uh, this this article by amy malloy seems to point out that there isn't much of a difference yeah, I mean, there was a lot of figures in this, um, yeah. but the, the headline one that I that pulled out of it was that a, a one-bedroom apartment uh, are, in Dublin is available on Airbnb, I presume Dublin city centre, for around €800 Euros a night, which se- seems quite a lot. I mean, I, I was just uh, very lucky to be in, in Paris last weekend for the match, and myself and three other guys shared a two-bedroom apartment in the city centre, and it was €700 Euros a night for the two-bed um, so split, split between four of you. Split between four of us, yeah. See, it's yeah. all about how many people are in it. Yeah. Uh, like it's, I think you need to be careful about, about, about uh, you know, price yeah. comparisons when they say, like an apartment, how many people can it sleep? That's yeah, well, it. when you see four men in their 50s having to share two double beds for a couple of nights. <laughs> I won't Anything to go and watch the rugby <laughs> yeah, yeah, does. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I thought was interesting here was the cleaning fees. So apparently when you do Airbnb there is a, a cleaning fee is added on um, and they are quite different because in some places they can be as little as €5 Euro, while others ask for between €40 Euro and €70. Euro. Yeah. And the other interesting piece in the, in the article is why do people do Airbnb? Why do they put up a room in their house on Airbnb? And again, it's cost of living. Yeah. Um, absolute cost of living and they need more and additional income. Yeah, so it's, it, it, and it, you know, like that, that article that you cite there, Breda, done well, you know, somebody who, who can use it to their advantage, it doesn't have to take over their lives, yeah. but they can kind of switch it on and off as, they as it, it suits them. Correct, yeah. Finally, Des, um, the, I know you were in Paris, you were at the rugby, so you missed Victoria Beckham's fashion show. Uh, you were too busy uh, yeah. at the match. We, try, we tried to get to it. up in your Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, there was a fashion, I don't know if you'd consider it a fashion faux pas of sorts, but David Beckham, Beckham uh, turned up with sandals and socks, the kind of priest on holidays look uh, to... Not just any socks, what? though. White socks. White socks. White socks. Yeah, well, th- this wasn't news to me at all now. As, as the father of two teenage sons... Uh, Slides and white socks have been in for for quite some time now. Oh yeah, and it's 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 disastrous. But there's, uh, back so, in our day, it was an absolute fashion no no. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think it's a case of uh, Beckham imitating life rather than the other way around. Perhaps here. But, well, listen. Uh, on that note, we'll have to leave it there. Um, on that sort of priest on holiday note uh, of David Beckham in the sandals, I want to thank my guests, Breda Brown of Unique Media and Des Doris of Alchemy Events. Uh, enjoy your weekend and thanks for coming in to review the, the business stories. I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks Bobby. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.